and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Hello, I'm Pat Malone, and I'd like to welcome you to The Church in the Home, where we share the light of God's Word from our home to yours. I know the truth of God's Word, and I believe what I heard, yeah, yeah. I believe what I heard. I believe what I heard, so I'm standing on the Word of God. All right, I have a question. And I I won't be stirring up as much trouble as I would have, um, probably, if everybody was here tonight that's normally here. My question is, who's the greatest team of all time? (laughs) Yankees. Yankees. So if Mike was here, that's that's where the trouble. That's where the that's when the fight would have broke out, okay? Because everybody knows Mike is a, is a big Boston fan. Some people would say the Yankees. Mike obviously would say the Red Sox, maybe the Patriots. Some people would pick a different sport and, and say the the Chicago Bulls. These guys just watched that, so I know that that's in their mind. Um, Lots of different answers. Here's one I think we can all agree on. That truly the greatest team of all time is God's team. It is the family of God. That that is the greatest team ever. It's the greatest team and it is the greatest family. I love my personal, you know, earthly family, my flesh and blood. Um, those of you that have families, I know that's true for you. Phil and Sheila just had their whole family together for a week, and I've got my daughter Lindsay from Georgia in, who's you know not normally here, and those are all sweet times. And thankfully, it's not like it's a choose them or or the family of God. They're part of the family of God, so they're incorporated into it. But my family isn't just limited to those that bear my name or at one time did. It's the entire family of God. You want to talk about a big extended family, you don't get any bigger than that. Now, I don't know all of them as well, obviously, as I do my earthly family. But there are those of us that we do know each other, that we're we're not only part of the same family of God, but we're part of the same immediate household. And that family of God is so important and it's so special. And last week, I shared about the strength that's found in that family and how we keep it together. And the thing that keeps the family together, the thing that keeps it bound together, is what? The love of God. The love of God. The love of God is the bond of perfectness. This evening, then, what I'm going to get into is what do we do, since it's the love of God that is the bond of perfectness, what's the specific action with the love of God, what are some of them, at least, that we can do to keep the family strong, to keep the strength in this family, to build one another up, and to keep the family together, strong. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. 
This family of God and keeping it united, keeping it as one, is as has an important a truth as can be found in all of God's Word. Because it is the practical application of the great mystery and the mystery of the one body. And that's a wonderful, incredible truth that you know we'll, we'll go into another time. But we're going to deal with some of the practical application of it that's found in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation or calling wherewith ye are called. This verse introduces the practical side of Ephesians. The first three chapters of Ephesians tells us how much God's done for us, what God has done for us in Christ. What we now have has his sons, and how we are part of this one body, this one body. And God beseeches, and I love that word beseech, because it means to lovingly request, to implore. It's not like I am going to beat you over the head with a big club or hit you with a lightning bolt if you don't do this. It's God saying, you know, I, I've given you a lot. Make some use of it. Do something with it. He says that he beseeches that we would walk worthy of that calling. And the word worthy means in balance, and there is a balance between that doctrine and that application, a balance there. God wants us to not just hold the word, but be held by the word. Not just know these truths, but live these truths. That's what the worthy walk is. It's not just to have head knowledge. Anybody can have head knowledge. So what? <laughs> so what? It's about living it. It's about experiencing it. It's great to know that we're part of this one body. It's great to know that we're part of this family. But for that to really have a practical effect on my life, we've got to live it. That's what God wants. God wants the family to be a reality to us. Not just this nice sounding concept. Not just this nice flowery word. But real. 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 Real so that all of what God intended for that to be, we enjoy. He put us in a family for a reason. You know, God, he could have done any of this. You know, the whole ball of wax any way he wanted. You know, the idea of, of even just husbands and wives and kids. That's the way he arranged it. You know, he could have had us all just kind of you're born, and you immediately, there's some animals that do that, they immediately just strike out on their own, right? That could have been the way it was done. But God recognized how much we needed one another and how much it would bless us, and this perfect order of life. And that extends to the family of God. In fact, it's even greater when it's lived in that way. Verse 2 then gets into the specifics of how we do that. How do we begin to walk worthy? How do we begin to really live this stuff? And the first thing it begins with is lowliness. And man, if that's a word that you, you aren't already familiar with what it really means, 
that just sounds like, okay, I'm out of here already. You know, holiness. You know, it's another translation of that is humility. But for most people, that doesn't sound any better. Humility. Humility. What's what, another derivative of that, another form of that word is humiliated. Why? You can't think of anything worse than to be humiliated, right? I went to that party, and oh my gosh, a guy was wearing the same shirt as me, and I was humiliated. You don't hear guys say that much. But to be humiliated, that's not a good thing. But that's not what this word means. It's not, it's not to, to, to you know, be disgraced. It's not to be embarrassed. It's not to feel less. That's not what lowliness of mind or humility means. Lowliness means that we recognize that God is bigger than we are. That's the simplicity of it. It's just recognizing that man doesn't know so much. He doesn't know as much as he thinks he is. That it does, and that's for sure. That God's the one that put it together, put life together, and he knows more about how to live it and how we can enjoy it and how we can be blessed than what our little two-bit minds can figure out. That's, that's loneliness. And because we recognize God is bigger, then that leads to the next quality listed there, meekness. And meekness, there again, you know, the connotation of that word. I'm trying to think of a good... Somehow there used to be more people I could draw on uh, in, in terms of famous people to point out somebody that was meek, you know, uh, but that kind of mild-mannered, you know, doesn't say boo kind of guy, that's what people think of with meekness, you know. Or, or the little, you know, timid, um, you know, church mouse librarian kind of picture of, you know, this person that, that doesn't want to offend anybody, doesn't really say anything. That's what people think when they think of meekness. But that's not what meekness is. Mm -hmm. Meekness means coachability, coachability. Are you willing to learn? That's what meekness is. Because you recognize God's bigger, then you're meek. You're willing to learn. And then the next thing is with long-suffering. Man, all, you know, no wonder nobody reads this because none of this sounds like what you would want. Long-suffering. If you're not familiar with that King James English, long-suffering just sounds like yeah, that's what being a Christian is. You just suffer all the day long. You know, it's just that life of putting up with things and just suffering for the Lord. Long-suffering means patience. It means patience. Because in this family of God, it takes some patience. It takes some patience, you know. You've got to have some patience to put up with me. I, I may not need as much as to put up with you, but you've got to have some patience to put up with me. It takes that just willingness to let people grow. It takes that willingness to overlook things at times and recognize, like I said last week, that God only has imperfect people to work with. We all fall short. We all come short of the glory of God. And so we have to just have patience. Each one of these builds on the last. Without the holiness, you wouldn't be meek. Without being willing to learn, then you're not going to be willing to have some patience with somebody. 
And then the next step, building on that, is forbearing one another in what? Love. Forbearing one another in love. Forbearing. That's supporting each other. You know, isn't that what people look to a family to do to support them? I don't mean financially. Sometimes that may be the need, but, you know. But you always want their, their emotional support, their moral support, right? You want them to, to always be there for you. That if you're going through a hard time, you know that they're there for you, that they support you, that they've got your back. You know that if you're, if you're at, a, at a great time, you know, where everything's wonderful, that they're going to be the ones in the front row clapping for you, cheering for you, right? That's, that's forbearance. It's what's described in 1 Corinthians 12, where it says we have that same care for one another so that when one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. When one member is honored, all the members rejoice with them. That's the forbearance. That's this family. That's the way that we live in this family of God. And then verse 3 says, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. The unity, that togetherness, that oneness. It takes effort. It takes effort. That's what that word endeavoring means. It means... To, make, to give a diligent effort, to give it all that you've got, recognizing the brevity of time. It's the same word that's used for those of you that are familiar with in 2 Timothy 2.15 study. Spudazo in the Greek, for, for those of you that like speaking Greek. Um, endeavoring. It takes some work. It takes some effort. It doesn't just happen. Very little in life just happens, you know? It takes effort. Some things, you've just kind of been trained without even recognizing it to take that effort to do. You just sort of, you know it takes effort, but you didn't really think about, should I take this effort or not? You have a kid, you, you know, you have a child, a child's, you know, born. You don't stop and think, well, you know, not too bad looking. Looks a little bit like me. I think I'll keep it. I think I'll I'll take the effort to to raise it and to feed it and to you know do all the stuff you got to do with the bit. You don't really think that, right? You know, maybe maybe one or two of you might, but you just it was kind of just a given. It was a given. And there's a lot of effort that goes into raising a child, right? There's a lot of effort that goes into any family. I don't know, maybe some of your families are easier to get along with all the time than mine, but occasionally it took a little effort for us to keep the unity in our family, to keep it sweet, to keep it together. And the family of God is the same way. It takes some effort. It takes some effort. Those of you that have families, you know, kids and so forth, you all have some family, right? Is it worth it? Is it worth having a sweet family? Is it worth having a family that, that is together and loves one another? Sure, it's worth the effort. The family of God is that way. But here's the difference. Some, some earthly families, you know, if they don't know God's word and if they haven't lived it, it may not have had the same support 
and love and all of those things that I just described. In fact, sometimes families are so far away from what God intended it to be that it doesn't do that at all for the people in the family. Sometimes those relationships that are in a family, when they're not the way that the Word of God describes, when it doesn't have the love of God to accompany that human love, then instead of being something that's healing, something that's supportive, something that's a blessing, it can turn out to be very dysfunctional, and it can be abusive and harmful and anything but what you'd want. And that's why, again, the love of God is so important in any kind of relationship, and especially when we talk about family. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Family is one of the things, both the spiritual family and earthly families, that the adversary has always been after. And boy, in, in recent times has done so much to just break down, to break down the family, to break down the nuclear family of husbands, wives, children, and to break down the family of God. And the devil will always endeavor to separate. It is endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit. And the one thing the adversary will always do is try to divide people, try to cause division. My goodness, look at how, what a field day he's been having in recent times in our country with dividing people, with causing them to be at strife. But that's always what he's after, and it's what he'll always do as much as he can. To separate people, to divide them according to race, according to age, according to gender, according to nationality, according to occupation, economic standing, you name it, he'll look to divide people in whatever way he can. But the family of God is something that we have to fight for. We have to fight for. We have to recognize that. We have to recognize that the family of God, along with everything else that's out there, is something that the adversary will try to separate, try to divide, try to deprive you of the benefit that's to be gathered by that. I've known some earthly families where over the silliest things, over, over some of the silliest things, you'll have brother and sister, brother and brother, that'll decide they don't ever want to even speak to each other again. And don't. Over sometimes the most ridiculous, silly things. Because people can just get tricked. Siblings that at one time loved each other and then somehow they get just robbed of that. Or parents that get estranged from their children. Lots of things that can happen. But with the love of God, with the love of God, 
then we just don't allow that to happen. Not to our, our nuclear earthly families, and certainly not to the family of God. The family of God that knows God's word and can come back to it. Look at Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians 1, in verse 27, after talking about the riches of the mystery, the Apostle Paul, by revelation, talks about how he fought for the family. In verse 27, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of, the, of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man, and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Striving. Keep that word in mind. Go to chapter 2, verse 1. For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you, and for them in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, unto all the riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. He's talking about them getting to the point that first begins with the individual growing up in Christ. The individual becoming Christ-like. The individual being presented perfect in Christ. To the end, that this whole body would be knit together in love. There's unity, right? That's a great mind picture, isn't it? Knit together in love. Our hearts knit together. A great song, old song about that. Knit together in love. But in order for that to happen, he said he had to strive, and it was a great conflict. Those are a couple of interesting words in the Greek. One is agonizomai, and the other one is agone. Anybody recognize what English word is derived from that? Agony. 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 Again, this sounds like a lot of fun, doesn't it? But it... What that word describes, that word agonizomai, which is the verb, agon is the, the noun, so it's like contending for the contest. Those are athletic terms. They were used in the Greek and Roman games. <clears throat> and it is contending, putting out that complete, entire, pouring out every last ounce of strength effort. You know, giving it your absolute all to contend in the games. It's the spiritual contest that he's talking about. Again, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers. It's the spiritual fight. And it's the adversary that we're fighting against, not people. But in order to win at this, it takes giving it our all. It is a contest. It's a battle. It's a battle, a spiritual battle that's always going on. And we have to be willing to fight for the family. We have to be willing to give our all for it. You know, that's a constant vigilant effort. Usually, when everything's sweet, you don't think about 
having to do too much, you know? Everybody's getting along, everybody likes each other, there's no friction, there's no tenseness, and it's all sweet. But if it's going to keep that way, well then you have to cultivate those relationships. You have to make sure that you're growing. You're always either growing or dying. Everything is either moving ahead or it's just getting lost. Relationships either become stronger and stronger or it doesn't even take a rift to separate that relationship. It'll just die of neglect. The easiest way to kill anything is to just neglect it. You know, you plant, we were talking before fellowship about planting some, some a garden and, and you've got to go home after to this meeting and water your garden because if you don't, then it'll just die. It'll just die, you know? I've proven that that's a law many, many times. You have to always be vigilant with maintaining. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Back to Ephesians. Ephesians 4 goes, gets into after... After those verses that we looked at about the worthy walk, it gets into talking about the renewed mind and putting on the new man. And all of those truths concerning the new man are all important if we're going to grow up to be perfect in Christ, to be that mature believer so that we can be knit together in love. And it gets into the truths concerning the family. Because all of these truths, although it's written talking about putting on the new man, they're all expressed in the context of the family. Look at, for example, verse 25. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. The reason why we're to put away lying and speak truth is because we're members one of another. We're one body. We're the family, and we want to to live with that kind of honesty. Look at verse 26. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. If you're going to have this unity in the bond of peace, then we can't hold a grudge. When somebody does do something that does try your patience, well then, you know, you can get mad, but you can't stay mad. I'll tell you what, and this is an honest statement. You can knock me down. You can step on my face. You can slander my name all over the place. You can even step on my blue suede shoes. And you know what? I'm going to forgive you. Now, you might make me mad. And you may not like it when I get mad. But I've had people do the most outrageous things to me. People that honestly weren't, weren't even part of the family that I didn't know a single thing to. And I can be as mad as mad can be, but if they turn around a week later and say, I've got a real need, I'll do anything I can to help them. Because I understand the love of God. Because I know how much God loved me. Because I know what God was willing to forgive 
in my life. I know how much God puts up with me. You know, it's easy. If you have a hard time putting up with other people, if you have a hard time forgiving other people, either one of two things. Either you are a whole lot better than I am, or you just don't recognize how much God puts up with, with you. Because I know how much God just has to put up with with me. You know, that's why it goes on to say, and you get down to verse 30, 31 will go. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Got a lot of things in that verse and a lot of things in the section that have to do with words that we speak. You know, in verse 29, it says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And here it talks about clamor and evil speaking, and, and you know, another verse that talks about other things along these lines. Because, again, we just have to do that which builds up. But then it goes on to say, And be, be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. It takes that kindness. It takes that tenderness. The family of God, boy, when it's, when it's sweet, when it's tender, when it's the way that God intended it to be, it's the most wonderful, healing, possible thing there is. We derive all that strength from it. We take such comfort in it. It is a refuge for us against the world. But boy, it takes that. It takes having that family be what God intended. You can't bring me down, the word is on my mind.